Hi, I'm Bailey. And I'm Serena. Welcome to season three of the Creative Baggage Podcast. In this episode, we continue our conversation with John Littlejohn about his unique career path as both a musician and a pastor. He tells us that in both of these professions, the end goal is to teach people about life and help others succeed. We also discuss the importance of finding motivations beyond wanting validation, as well as holding the people in your life accountable and having them do the same for you. I love it. It's so funny and I'm smiling, but also it's so, this is such a huge message that we want to send out because you, what you said earlier about like, where is that box? Like it doesn't exist, but they, they should, and there should be room for that, you know? And I think so many, I mean, I've seen it in plenty of colleagues that are just like, I have the one goal and then they get there and it's like, well, yeah, because if what you want to have? have a goal, then your goal has to be a career that exists, right? Yeah. Because right. if you can't even right. imagine it, then you can't do it. And so, like, if we're saying, well, this is the closest thing. Like, oh, yeah. I, I like all these things. And being an orchestra flutist is the closest thing I can get to what I really want. And so I'm just right. going to go for that. Then I'm blocking myself to thinking about what I actually That's right. want. Yeah. That's right. You know, I think, and there's, there is nothing wrong with being a professional orchestra musician. Like, I mean, no. what a wonderful, mm-hmm. but I think it's, it's what, we pay, what we put as the, the life success. Mm-hmm. So it's a very hollow success as far as like life. So for a lot of people, there's um, an award at the end of their goal, or they want to get a Grammy, or they want to, you know... Um, play a certain repertoire. Once they get to that repertoire, they're satisfied or they think they will be. There's always like the siren song of careers. It's like, you. it sounds beautiful. You think you're going to love it until yeah. you get it. And it's like, this is ugly. Uh, I don't know about this. You know, this this wasn't living up to what I thought. So what I, you know, the, the, the only difference for me is I do all the, the musical things. I do the recitals. I do the, um, but at the end, I, when I teach, you know, my goal is not to be, um, to have a great reputation as a teacher. Uh, I teach, I would love to be effective as a teacher. I give it my all when I teach. Uh, but for a pastor, the end of the goal is people. Yeah. So whatever it is, whatever, if, if it's, and that's not just for a pastor, I think it's for a lot of people. Um, but you know, if I'm teaching, that person I'm teaching, their success is the end goal. You're teaching life through music. If I'm playing a concert, the the thing that gets me out of myself because I get very nervous still, but it doesn't often come across when someone says, "I don't, I didn't think you were nervous." Well, because the I had to put the nervousness under wanting to reach you, mm. and so when I play to reach you, um, when I'm in an orchestra, I, I get chills, especially when it's going really well, because. The idea of us coming together to make this piece happen that can't happen with one person. And then, so I'm like, wanting my stand partner to kill it. Like, I'm looking at the concert master, like, you know, or if I am concert master, I'm cueing the section, I'm with the conductor. I'm, but my, my, my goal is to, for us to come together to make something happen for them. When Infinitus, when we play um, the trio, you know, we all have that same feeling. So if we're at a school. We play the same at schools for kindergartners 
than we played at we played at Lincoln Center. Like when we played at Lincoln Center, it was the same. Like we we I wore my Pac-Man shirt, I had on my Adidas, <laughs> and we went on that stage and we beatboxed and we played for every audience they brought in. And what they noticed was every they I think we did, we must have done about 20, I don't know. We we did multiple residencies with the Lincoln Center. And they kept bringing in different audiences. A lot of them were kids. Um, and every audience was different. And they kept noticing that the show was different every time. And they were saying, how are you having a different... And they, they always hit. They were like, the audience always did the show. Well, because we played so many shows with the idea of like wanting to connect to the audience that we could literally look at the audience. We know our repertoire. We whisper, whisper, whisper. And we just make a few changes. And we do the show that's good for them. Oh, I love so, that. So every audience is like, yeah, like I could really relate to that. Because the goal was not to make them know us. The goal was for us to know them and to use music as a way to let them know that we're together. And so they hear themselves in the violin, they hear themselves in the viola and the cello, and they go, oh, I didn't think I could like strings, but I I, I could like recognize things or... So that's the goal, you know. That's the goal. But when I make hip hop, when I make when I make my songs, and I make videos, and I make, um, that's the end goal. So you know, it's like, so it's it's terrible for marketing. I'm a terrible marketer. Uh, <laughs> I'm learning to be better um, because, like, I am very satisfied when that thing reaches a person, and their heart has changed. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, someone comes to me and says, "I heard your song better, and it made me want to change my life." then I feel like, yes, that's a successful album. Yeah. But then everybody else is like, you released an album? <laughs> <laughs> I never heard about it. I'm like, oh, well, yeah, I didn't have time to talk about it. It took too long to make. <laughs> so, I'd love to I'm talk learning. about the marketing aspect for a moment because I think that a lot of us experience this feeling of like what society values and what is appreciated by the mm-hmm. public doesn't match what I feel get contentment from, right? Like people are impressed if you sell a lot of tickets, if you're making a lot of money doing what you love, or people are impressed if you have a lot of recognition in your industry, or like you are that reputable teacher that everyone wants to send their students to. But when those values don't fit your own, how do you cope with (laughs) Like, yeah, right. Because you kind of have to have what society values in order to make a living, in order right. for people to appreciate you, in order for you to get some sort of validation for what you do. But at the same time, you can't do that at the expense of what you truly value. Yeah, that's right. And you're right. You know, validation can be very encouraging. So you know, it's not it's not a wrong thing. Once again, I talk about what do we put at the what's the carrot at the end of the stick that keeps yeah. us moving? If that's validation, so. Validate. So I look at, if I give myself an image, there's me, there's something that's fueling and pushing me. There's something that's maybe pushing me up. There's something that's also like sharpening me or transforming me as I'm walking. And then there's something that's the carrot on the stick that I'm walking towards. You know, that idea. So if I put validation in the wrong place, Mm. then it becomes, so if validation is a thing that's encouraging me, encouragement is so important, um, then it's really positive. But if validation is the thing that is the carrot on the end of the stick, mm. then that's that's where I'm going to be. It's like it's like reaching for the wind. It's mm. like it's, it's being thirsty. 
It's like, you know, <laughs> yeah. people, people can tell, like, he's thirsty. Like, oh, I don't mean, now I don't want to give you a compliment because now you seem like you want one. Oh, my I God, I do that. That's Serena. <laughs> if you are fishing for a compliment, you will never get one from me. <laughs> it's cruelty. Because I feel it. And then I'm like, no, I don't care if I think I, you look good. I'm not going to tell you. <laughs> now I have the power of your self-worth in my hand. And I'm not going to use it to help you. <laughs> literal cruelty because I'm one of those people who used to really and I still fall victim to it um having validation be my carrot at the end of the stick um and then I get all jaded about flute playing and I'm like oh I don't want to do it anymore um and then once I remember like the real reasons why I love it then everything's fine but definitely when I was younger um I was that person who needed other people complimenting me and I didn't get a lot of it so I built I felt very resentful um, yeah I and see I, that carrot and I'm like yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so you know but I think it, it's important I think that people recognize that and I like the way that you visualized it mm-hmm. um and illustrated it for us because it's true like you validation is important we need it but it shouldn't be the thing that you are striving for right. because that's not the point right. you know but you know y- you two have something that we need, that people don't talk about. You have friendship, you have honest friendship, and I'm just, I can see it, you can hear it. You have, and you have accountability. You have the kind of friendship where you can say the hard things to each other. Oh yeah. And, no, and let me tell you, like people, it's a skill to be able to, to have that kind of friend and also be that kind of friend. And it's a, it's a, it's a really important skill. It's it's a skill that will will give you more lasting results than a great private lesson or um, a good music camp or whatever. Because many great people fall. A lot of our mm-hmm. heroes have horrible endings, and one of the common threads that people have that have a horrible ending is they're not giving people the permission to sharpen or correct them. Mm-hmm. And we need it. Yeah. Accountability is like accountability is a guardrail. It's that thing that lets you know you're about to go off the cliff. And if you remove that from your life, you go off the cliff with no one having telling you that. And so you need someone to be like, you know what? Yeah. Like, you know, John, you know, you got to get this thing together, you know, or yeah. the way you do this. And I'm like, ah, well, what? Well, you know, we argue all the kind of stuff. And then later, I'm like, well, they are kind of real. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's true. <laughs> But yeah. I'm grateful. So I've learned through life, like, you know, the, the, and I can recognize it because the, the guys that I play with, we're best friends. We're, like I was telling you, we're best friends since we were 17 years old, um, 17, 18 years old. We, we've grown up together. We were in each other's weddings. We've been in the hospital and we have children. We've, you know, cried together. We've, you know, we've, we've gone through, we've been confused together. We've been <laughs> together. Like, yeah. We've been, and we, and then we make music together. Like, and we, and we click and we have the same goals, um, they have absolute permission in my life to tell me when something is, and that has been, I'm a better person for it, for giving people permission to to sharpen me. Schubert, you know, let's get into the classical world for a second. You know, Franz Schubert, it was his downfall. He was amazingly talented, but he ran with, like, not with a group of composers, they were all the party group in town. So he kind of mm-hmm. used his money. He was like the, like, he was he was just a go-with-the-crowd guy. And so he died very early. I can't remember what it was, was but I think it was... Um, the Phyllis? 
Yeah, I think it was syphilis. <laughs> I was going to say it, but I was like, it was on a podcast. I don't know if I'm All right. the shoes died of syphilis. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's like, you know who yeah. else is going to be at the party? <laughs> syphilis. <laughs> <laughs> and they can't wait to hang with you. Yeah. Oh, man. <laughs> so but- that's how he died. It was how he died was actually running literally with the wrong crew. The Unfinished Symphony, all these things. It's like, like what would his later works would have been if his earlier works were so amazing? We'll never know. Yeah, that's huge. Um, and we, I mean, we try not to brag about it, but our friendship <laughs> is pretty exceptional. And I think that's so true. And it's something I think that, I mean, as a general rule, I think we need it not only as classical musicians, um, but as humans. I mean, I love that we can have accountability culture instead of cancel culture. Yes, and we I love can, that. And, and, and that's what I think people have to understand is like all these polarizing things that everybody's getting all upset about, it's never like, oh my God, you're totally wrong. You're the devil. Leave society. Goodbye. Like usually people just need to be a little sharpened. Mm-hmm. You know, yep. when someone says something ignorant, usually they just need someone to say, hey, like, <laughs> maybe don't yep. say it like yep. that. And it has to come yeah. from someone that you trust, right? Yes. Like, if you haven't been vulnerable with anybody around you, then you're not going to listen when somebody around you tells you what to do or tells you exactly. that what you did was wrong. Exactly. And I feel like we've kind of created a system for anybody who's like either a celebrity or in a position of power that they don't always need to have someone else in their life telling them what's going right and what's going wrong and we like isolate them as a society as a culture and we put them on a pedestal to the point that they don't feel that anyone not their family not their friends are allowed to say something about them and those are the people they were most likely to listen to you think they're going to listen to like one random person who's listening to your music like no no. never so we need these things you know you're absolutely right you know i think of the 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 jahari window are you guys familiar with that um the jahari window what is it called um it's like the 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 jahari window view of self-perception so It's basically saying that our life is like four window panes of glass. And in order to like fully see ourselves, you have to have all four panes there. The whole idea behind it is that we don't really see ourselves fully. So the first pane of glass is the things that people see, that people that people know about you that you also know about you. Mm -hmm. So it's a very it's the it's the most clear pane of glass. The second pane of glass is the things that you know about you that no one else knows. There's parts of us that we know that no one else really understands or knows. The third pain is what friendship will help you get. It's the things that others see that we don't see. Mm-hmm. It is still who we are because we're relational people. Mm-hmm. But we there's certain things that we will never know because we're <laughs> internal. We're in us. And we don't know how we come off to different people. And good and bad. It's not always bad. Actually, sometimes like uh, the best thing about friendship is being affirming good in me that I didn't think was good or something mm-hmm. like that. Being like, no, yeah. like that is great. You know, and then the fourth pain is the one that is is where my relationship with God has helped me the most. It's the one that's no one, it's things about you that are true that you don't know and no one else knows. Mm. This is that thing when you're going through life and then all of a sudden you're like, I really like this. Or wow, this is you have that discovery. That's in that fourth pain where you're like, huh. And that's the cool thing about life is that 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 thing is constantly revealing. I don't even know if it ever happens totally when someone dies. But that idea that 
the idea that there's parts of there's parts of our life that are true that I don't know and that no one else knows is one of the best reasons to have faith and to go, this is why I have to not walk totally based on what I see, yeah. but like what could be, because that's how I discover that fourth pain, you know? Um, and then for me, the end of the carrot stick is, is God. So if I go in that direction and, and God is the carrot and I'm fueled by everything else in life, you can't lose. I can't lose. So that's kind of, that's, that's a friendship, like uh, marriage. Oh my goodness. Like that's the third and fourth pain. Like marriage, things come out. (laughs) I'm a pretty nice guy. I'm a pretty this, that. I'm a, and I was like, (laughs) maybe not so much. I don't know. When somebody's always there, some different things come out. Uh, Good and bad. You know, fatherhood brings out things. It, It brought out, you know, marriage and fatherhood, they bring out a love that I never knew was in there. Yeah. Um, like when I held my daughter in my hands the first time and those tears fell out of my eyes, yeah. like cool. there was that, that was a new tear. That was a tear that had never, yeah. I had never cried before. It was a daddy tear. Aww. And when I held her, and I know I'm a girl dad, but, <laughs> but when I held her and, and it just came out so naturally, and emotion didn't come out of me very naturally. And that just came out. And it was like, and I remember thinking, I will kill everyone in this hospital for this baby girl. I remember that was like the next thought. It was like also a very dad thought. Like, you know, I started, I started looking at the doctors like, I don't think, I know you see me crying, but don't think I won't murder every one of you if you hurt this baby. Yeah. Oh, being That's human is being human is so cool. And I love that. And I think that, you know, we all have this. And I think, you know, people have such interesting conceptions of, of religion and things like that. And and that's I think the way that you just described it, I think is the best way to explain it to people. Um, because like personally, I grew up in a really like random agnostic bundle of religion. My mom's Jewish, my dad's atheist and Catholic, and I'm connected to my Judaism, but kind of also agnostic. But I think the way, like, I totally identify with the way that you feel. Um, It's just in a different way. And like, we can call it God or we, you know, it is, but it's just this, this, you know what I mean? It's just really part of the human condition. Um, And I think it's important that everybody at least investigates that part of themselves because I think that we all need it. Yeah, I think spirituality comes in many different forms. And I identify as an atheist, but I've been able to have lots of different conversations with lots of people who are super religious and spiritual because it's really whatever form that it takes. It's about like getting to something deeper, like figuring out what you want from your human experience. Because I personally don't think it's wrong if you want to have a different kind of human experience. Like some people might want to go deeper as a person in their life and some people might not. And there are plenty of simple pleasures in life to enjoy that. Like, I don't like, or like even with music, like some people just want to play music and be entertaining and have a lot of fun. And there is nothing wrong with that. And we shouldn't tell people that it's wrong to want to play dance music and just want to like feel that joy. And then there are some people who want to study it so deeply, find out exactly what the composer wanted, like figure out the almost spiritual or like 
non-tangible element to the music that doesn't relate to like movement or whatever. And right. I think there's nothing wrong with that either, but like you have this amount of time in your life and you get kind of have to choose how far you want to go in which direction right. you want to go. And if you want a little bit of this, a little bit of that, you can, but I think we <laughs> need to what? be aware of our yeah. options. Yeah. I'm thinking of uh, there's a great title for this podcast. Now. <laughs> yes. Okay, give it to us. <laughs> A Christian, an atheist, and an ag- agnostic bundle. Yes. <laughs> I love that. Isn't that cool? Yes. <laughs> I love it. No, yes. but this is the beauty of it, right? That that we have to be able to talk. To, to, and, and I know that there is an openness, you know, um, when you invite a pastor on your podcast. You know what I mean? Like, it would be the group of people that people wouldn't want to talk about out of fear that we're going to be like, you know. <laughs> no, <laughs> you I know? love but, religion. <laughs> I mean, but, we know no, it too. It's, um, it's, yeah, so this is like, I, and I'm a Christian with a full acknowledgement that we live in a very diverse world and that I don't have all the answers and don't need to have them. Yeah. It's like, um, and, and, and I think, you know, um, that's an important thing for Christians to recognize because, you know, if you are a Christian, you know, the two greatest commandments that we have is to love God and to love others. Um, but sometimes it seems like people feel like the greatest commandment is to judge others and to like <laughs> lead others in the way. And I, there's a, there's a space for discipleship. There's a space for I'm not saying any of that. Yeah. But what I'm saying is those are the primary things. So I can love people who are different and and are you know I'm different. Like there is no what is the norm exactly? Yeah. Like it's like some people are like it's okay to be things. But I'm more like um, it could be we great are, to be something. Yeah. Well, I'm more. It's not even. A, it could be. It is. We are different. We live in a different world. So the reality is diversity. You know, you guys have heard me say in some of the talk yes. when we talk about DEI stuff. That you know, um, everyone. Not everyone. I shouldn't generalize so much, but but many see diversity as a goal, but diversity is a reality. The world yeah. is diverse. Just look outside. It's diverse. Look at it. Look, it's a, it, racism, war, hate. Those are the barriers that stops diversity from being as beautiful as it could be. So it's like when someone said, like, we just want to be more diverse. I'm like, no, you diversity exists. Why aren't you diverse? Start tearing that down. You have to just then let it. <laughs> you let it. Start tearing that down. Then you'll have it. But you're going to have to give up your right to be right. You're going to have to give up control. You're going to have to give up comfort because diversity is not comfortable. You're going to be around somebody who eats different, talks different, smells different, you know, like does everything, you know. Um, and, and, and I see sometimes, you know, there's some really great people in ministry doing really amazing things. And then I also see people who walk into a room and there's cigarette smoke. <laughs> oh no. Tattoos. Oh my God. You know, lesbians. Oh my goodness. No. You, know, yeah. like, like, you can't talk to anybody. Well, how are you gonna? What light is that? <laughs> yeah, I love that. I and we're gonna have you on again because I think that we could have a, a huge, I think we could have like a million hour segment about the way that we've talked talked and all have come together about different diversity issues and kind of the the awesome like little brainchild of thoughts that are coming through the discussions that we're all having on Clubhouse because like I've just been so relieved and like happy to hear these like just 
things like this basically um and and we need like i want to i almost want to keep people like waiting for that because that is um something that we could go so much deeper on but i just love that idea um about diversity being something that we have to tear apart the constructs it's not we don't create it um it's here (laughs) right it is it's here and and the problem is is that people don't want to let go of the way things are right now you know um and that's i think the the thing that people have to understand um Mm, and i mm -hmm. think we will talk about that more (laughs) yeah i mean we had that model minority room that's how we first really got talking was yeah that was a great room that was really great conversation have a conversation about model minority syndrome and the things that I didn't understand and also like my perspective of what I even thought it was ended up being a different conception of what you thought it was. And and I realized at the end of that room that I had never been in a physical space with only like majority black and Asian people. Yeah, before. I was the only white person in the right. room. Yeah, I remember that. And yep. I'm a Jewish yep. woman. And so it's like, like <laughs> how was I supposed to be expected <laughs> yeah. to know all awesome. these things if we haven't ever created space for me to learn all those things. And Right. If we can't talk, which comes with listening, you know, as the most important part of it, you're right. I, and I learned great things in that conversation, you know. Um, yeah. Like, I, you know, even the the, the pressure to like, because the expectation of, of the model minority syndrome. And, and then if you're failing, it's like, oh, you're supposed to be the one that doesn't fail. And, yeah. you know, just, oh, I remember like, hearing that going like, so, and if I hadn't stayed in that conversation and listen, if I came in there with only an agenda to say something, mm-hmm. I wouldn't, I wouldn't learn from it. Uh, and I, you know, those, those, those kind of rooms, you know, in Clubhouse and in life in general, but I just, you know, politely get up from the well, I listen. So if somebody has something that they really want to say and they just feel like they only have to say it, I'll listen until they loop around. <laughs> because they yeah. always do. Yeah. They don't just say it once. They say it like 10 times. And you're like, all right, man, dang. I got it the first time. Yeah. <laughs> I love that. Yeah. If you like what you hear, please subscribe, leave us a review, and consider becoming a monthly donor. You can also follow us on Instagram at creative.baggage and check out our website, creativebaggagepodcast.com.